2: We're going to talk tonight about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to move through those verses relatively quickly. We're going to move from verse 6 to verse 8. And really what we're talking about in this situation is just a matter of obedience. Remember, this is a young church. It's a young group of believers. I don't mean that they were young in age. I mean they were young in their acquaintance with the Lord. They were new believers. But in many ways they were more established in their faith than some of the more established churches. In fact, Paul calls them an example to others. And these young believers went through, they stood the test of persecution. They literally walked in truth in the absence of teaching. They only had Paul there for a few weeks, and then he was forced out of there. You see, they were serving a god They were serving a Lord that they knew very little about. In fact, probably a lost American knows more about God and about Jesus than these people knew about. But you see, they were not serving from what they knew in their head. They were serving the God that they knew in their heart. They were walking in the truth that they had within them, not in a truth that somebody imposed upon them. And they were exemplary in their faith. Now, you take a group of believers like this with very little instruction, coming out of a pagan society of idol worshipers, and some of them Judaism, you can imagine as they established a church and tried to grow a church, there were a few problems along the way you could imagine that a few issues might arise. Well, chapter 3 kind of addresses, Paul takes that latter half of that letter and begins to deal with some church discipline. Let's take a look at what we're talking about. In First Thessalonians, Paul dealt with this issue once before. And Paul dealt with it in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. We've already looked at these verses, and he says to make it your ambition and definitely endeavor to live quietly and peacefully, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we charged you, so that you may bear yourselves becomingly and be correct and honorable and command the respect of the outside world, being dependent on nobody, self-supporting, and have no need of nothing. You see, the issue that Paul was dealing with is that some of these Thessalonians were not willing to work. They were, in effect, living off others. And there was some problems with that. It's probably safe to say, in fact, Paul brings it up in First Thessalonians, that some of them had believed a lie. They had believed a lie that had been told to them that they were actually in the day of the Lord. And they said, you know what, if I'm in the day of the Lord, then what I need to do is I need to put my responsibilities to the side and concentrate on the study of Scripture and evangelism. But in light of that, Paul gave them quite a bit of instruction concerning the day of the Lord. And he says to them, you're not in the day of the Lord. He proved to them that they were not in the day of the Lord. And here we are in Second Thessalonians, Paul addressing this issue one more time. Well, obviously, some people were not worried about the day of the Lord. They were using the day of the Lord as an excuse to remain living in laziness, shirking responsibility, setting aside their responsibility to work. Well, we're going to look at our text now. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 through 18. Now we charge you, brethren, in the name and on the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah, that you withdraw and keep away from every fellow believer who is slack in their performance of duty and is disorderly, living as a shirker and not walking in accord with the traditions and instructions that you have received from us. For you yourself know how it is necessary to imitate our example. For we were not disorderly or shirking of duty when we were with you. We were not idle. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and struggle we worked night and day that we might not be a burden or impose on any of you for our support. It was not because we do not have a right to such support. But we wished to make ourselves an example for you to follow. For while we were yet with you, we gave you this rule and charge. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Indeed, we hear that some among you are disorderly, that they are passing their lives in idleness, neglectful of duty, being busy with other people's affairs instead of their own, and doing no work. Now we charge and exhort such persons as ministers in him, exhorting those in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that they work in quietness and earn their own food and other necessities. And as for you, brethren, do not become weary or lose heart in doing right, but continue in well-doing without weakening. But if anyone in the church refuses to obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person and do not associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but simply admonish and warn him as being still a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself grant you his peace, the peace of his kingdom, at all times and in all ways, under all circumstances and conditions, whatever comes, the Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this final greeting with my own hand. This is the mark and sign. It is not a forgery in every letter of mine. It is the way I write my handwriting and my signature. Now, I want you to understand something about this. This is about obedience. I said this from the beginning. This is a matter of obedience. Paul has given them instruction. And what you need to understand, obedience seems to be a nasty word in the church. It's not used a whole lot, but it needs to be. It needs to be used a whole lot more, because what obedience is, is obedience is relationship being lived out. Obedience is relationship being lived out. It's not you following through with a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not you trying to become something that you're not. It's not you striving and working and trying to prove something about yourself. It is literally you joining in the activity of God. That's what obedience is. Because apart from Him, you can do what? Nothing. Obedience is you allowing Him to live His life through you. Many people never experience the freedom that Christ came to give through His life and through our new creation because they refuse to be obedient in living it out. They adopt a worldly definition of what life is and therefore they believe that life is to be gained and protected in this world and they are afraid to be obedient because they believe that obedience to God would take life from them. The issue for the Christian is not getting life, but choosing to live the life that we have already been given. That is the issue. The only way we can experience life is allowing Jesus to be our life, and yielding in obedience to that life within us. The thing that we just spoke about, turning our eyes upon Jesus, is immediately touching us because we recognize that we're not alone. Because we recognize that we're not trying to pull Jesus in, but we're literally living out in worship the truth of Christ within us. Obedience is simply God putting you in the context of allowing Him to live life with you and through you. That's what obedience is. He calls to you to love a brother, to love an enemy. He wants you to be obedient in loving an enemy. Now, apart from Christ, apart from His work in you, do you really have the capacity to love an enemy? Do you think that that's possible? No. No. Well, why in the world would he ask you to? Because you are no longer that person that had no capacity to love an enemy. You are, in fact, in union with love itself. And when you put your arms around the enemy and say, I love you, you're literally speaking from the heart. You're speaking from the truth of who you are. And God says, go love an enemy that you might know the life that I've put in you. Go love an enemy that you might express my character and the truth of who I am. In this issue, we're talking about work. We're talking about people who refuse to work. And Paul is giving them a command. He says, you must work. Well, we're going to talk about that further, but that is simply a matter of obedience, and obedience is a matter of expressing the relationship that you're currently in with Christ. We, many people don't know that relationship because they refuse to live it out. For many people, the issue of work is completely upside down in our thinking. We think we work for money in order to buy what we need to survive and to enjoy life. It's a material means to a material end. I've been guilty of that, and it's easy to fall into that line of thinking. But you'll never enjoy work if that's what you think. It will never be to you what God intended it to be. The truth is that work is a spiritual exercise that is a gift from God and a necessary part of our spiritual maturation, maturity. We often hear work referred to with disdain and contempt. I've said it myself, well, I have to go to work. Well, I have to go to work. We hear things like, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And how about all of those bumper stickers, I'd rather be, you fill in the blank. All of those reflect a contempt for work, a contempt for a job. Is that really the way God would have us see it? We often see it as an intrusion or a necessary evil. But that's not the way it should be. The truth is that work is a gift that was given to God at creation before the fall. Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and guard and keep it. You see, because of sin... His Work did not become sin. But because of sin, the fruit of man's labor became hard won. It became difficult to produce. But the purpose of work was never diminished. The purpose of work was never taken away. God literally made man to work to give him purpose. And here's where it moves from just a drudgery and a pain. Listen, men. Most of you men work full time, and some of you ladies do too. You know that the purpose of us being here is to glorify God and to know Him. To come into the truth of who He is. To come into the truth of all that He's already done in us. To live and grow in our faith. To live and grow in our expression of His life. That Would you agree that that is why we're here? Well, then you know that God made a plan for your life, and in that plan, there's not a single moment of your life in the plan of God that you are not given the ultimate opportunity to know Him. That's the only purpose for it. There's purpose in everything that you're experiencing. Now, where I'm going with this is how much time do you spend at work? I'm not going to talk about priorities. What I'm talking about is, would God, knowing that you would devote such a large portion of your existence to being out there laboring and earning a living, would God just relegate His blessing, His revelation, His truth, His anointing to you being at church on Sunday? No. Does that make sense? The truth of the matter is that God has given you work that you might know Him. Because, men and women, we cannot possibly do what God calls us to do as far as living as a Christian, expressing Christ's life, expressing His character, sitting at home, doing nothing. We don't learn much that way. We're about to see that in the Thessalonians. God has called us out. For us men, it puts us in the dead center of the world, doesn't it? Well, we're surrounded. And you know what? We feel like we're the weak ones. We feel like we're the ones who have, have every obstacle to the expression of Christ. God puts you in a dark place that your light may shine. I'm not just talking about evangelism. Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. How in the world are we going to know what that means if we don't get out there and do something? And this is what work's about for us guys and ladies. It's about us knowing Him. Because let me tell you, if you've got it reduced to dollars and cents, you're not enjoying what you're doing. And you're in a panic because there will never be enough. You're not enjoying it. But God says... You must work. And we know that God enjoys putting us to do something that we don't enjoy. He he wants to make sure that we're contrite and suffering. Really. Really. We should be out there working, setting the standards as Christians, setting the standards for what it is to work with the joy of the Lord. We need to be able to show this dark world what it means to work unto the Lord. The labor of a Christian is literally our sacrifice unto him by yielding ourselves and allowing him to literally be active in what we do. It's not just a matter of labor. You know, they used to divide things into sacred and secular. I want to tell you something. For the Christian, everything is sacred. Everything. Every expression. Everything that we do. Let me tell you, I know you've heard this, this said many times from a pulpit, and usually it's all in the context of evangelism. You need to be out there. Well, I'm not going to take that, that direction. But I want you to understand that evangelism is the revelation of Christ. And you evangelize 24-7 when you yield, when you allow the presence and the person of Christ to minister to the people around you. You see, you're not at work to earn a buck. You're at work to express his life and to know him. Because of the sin of man, because of the sin of Adam, we work a little harder. But Christ has redeemed the curse of sin on work for the Christian he has redeemed it. Christ reministers his life through us in the workplace as we meet the challenges of his strength, as we exhibit his peace, as we enjoy his fellowship. You know, a good bit of what I know about God I've learned in the workplace, not in Sunday school. You know, it's in the workplace, men, that we face most of the Goliaths, isn't it? It's where we end up in the, in the lion's den more often than not. It's time that we behold that we not only have seen the salvation of the Lord, but we are being saved, as Paul says in Romans, daily. And what a great opportunity that we go out to a place where God has literally set the stage to demonstrate His salvation, to demonstrate His sufficiency, to demonstrate His love and His life in a dark place. You see, it's a bit of a brain train, isn't it? Because, you know, the American people work hard when they're young so they can rest when they're old. Now they don't even do that. Christ has redeemed that curse. We don't work for money. We work for him. And the joy of work is found in him. He is our provision. And you know what? A lot of people are worried about the economy. And frankly, I get worried about it too. We we see all the things that are going on. And how many of us spend time yelling at our TV sets and radios and what have you? Truth is, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote, and you should vote, and you should especially vote this time. But it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Your provision hasn't changed. I've told many people out here, I've had many jobs, but I've only had one employer. It's Jesus. If the economy tanks tomorrow, you have Jesus. The world doesn't have any extra resource The enemies of Christ have no other resource. You have Jesus. We have one employer. And the purpose of it all is to know him. America's work ethic has declined along with its faith in God. We have begun to make materialism our God. And as such, the goal of work is money and personal indulgence. America, that was once held up to the world as a model of hard work and productivity, has become a consumer nation that grows more godless with every passing year. And with the growth of godlessness becomes, comes the decline of productivity. Put that in your economic stats. It's the truth. As godlessness increases, productivity decreases. And now we're raising generations full of people who don't know what it is to earn their own way and believe that society owes them a living. As we grow in our independence from God, we grow in our dependence on man and on government. A Christian nation is a nation whose labor is unto the Lord and considers it its reasonable worship. The Christian work ethic is alive. It's alive in Christ. You see, they can come up with every reason. The world can come up with every reason. The enemy can come up with every reason why you don't have to go out there and give 100%. Why you don't have to go out there and work for somebody else. Why you can sit at home and let somebody else take care of you. They can give you reasons for that. I can give you a reason why you need to go forth in joy and in victory and do the job that God has put before you as unto the Lord. It's the life within you. It is the dynamic of the life within you. It is the character of the life within you. It is the truth of the life within you. And if you deny that truth, you will literally be killing your sense of self-worth And you will put aside the abundance that God has given you. When you begin to curse the provision of God, you curse the God who brought the provision. Do you understand that? The children of Israel, on their way to the promised land, cursed the provision of God. And they cursed the God who brought the provision. Because they wanted security. They didn't want a God. Because they wanted provision. They didn't want a God. And because they could only appreciate what they could own when they got to the land they didn't go over because they couldn't see the salvation of the lord they couldn't see the sufficiency of god they couldn't see the provision of god they c- They could not see the protection of God. They couldn't see the victory of God. All they could see was the giants. And if you're cursing the provision that you have, God has been given you, if you're cursing your situation, if you're cursing the job that God has given you, then you're not seeing the provision of God. You're not seeing the victory of God. You're not seeing the hope of God. And you will find yourself hopeless. And when opportunity comes, you will hide yourself. You won't enter in. I'm not saying that God is going to punish you. I'm saying you punish yourself. That's what we say about sin around here. Sin punishes sin, doesn't it? God doesn't have to get involved in laziness. Laziness is its own reward. But he does when his children are there. The Christian work ethic is alive. Paul is insisting that those who are able must work, and if they refuse, then they are to be disciplined. Look at verse 6. Now we charge you, brethren, in the name and on the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that you withdraw and keep away from every brother, fellow believer, who is slack in performance of duty and is disorderly, living as a shirker, and not walking in accord with the traditions and instructions you have received from us. Now, as I said in the beginning, there are a lot of reasons why some of these people may have refused to work. The truth is the majority of these people were probably Gentiles. They came out of a pagan society. And, you know, the society of that age was a Greco-Roman society. And in the Greco-Roman paradigm, only slaves worked. You know, only slaves did work. You know, the free man was free in order that he could pursue higher interests. Well, we all know what higher interests the Romans and the Greeks pursued. We all know where that got them. But they could have had some of this left over in their thinking. But you know what? Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't go in and explain their position because it doesn't matter. What's at issue here is their disobedience. You see, and their disobedience is based in their unbelief. And that's what God's trying to get to the root of. Because they're hurting themselves. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. Disobedience says, I'm refusing that life and I am going to take take unto myself all that I think will please me. I will protect this area because this area is the one area that pleases me and I can't let go of it. God says I have so much more for you.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do,